so we've talked about conducive environments and we've also talked about um, the legal and regulatory framework we've touched on smas we've talked about standards but we still have another issue and that is losses so the east african community reports losses of about 500 million dollars in taxes as a result of counterfeit goods and so many other ways in which um, there's loss in trade and so you know practically speaking you would ask would that free trade area just effectively increase the spread of counterfeit goods and losses in tax revenue um, i put this to you alan how can that be managed and reduced Thank you so much, Amanda. So there's the reality and there's the perception. There's the reality around counterfeits really being real in our region, but there's also the perception because people often fear with any integration measure, they're always winners and losers. So people will fear that they're going to lose or they're going to win out. So maybe I'll start with that aspect in terms of the perception, but also the reality that actually people do lose out. So the whole need for stabilization funds to ensure that small countries do not uh, lose out. Because what happens then people try to bring in goods that are cheaper to meet either the demand or, or something. We've seen this playing out quite a lot in Nigeria uh, with trade between uh, Nigeria and Benin. Uh, for instance, in terms of rice with Nigeria, trying to close all its borders to say we, we won't import because uh, rice is uh, somehow you know coming through. Or with Benin closing all its borders against say, cement. So this trade was often start because people feel they are either losing out as a perception or a reality. So a stabilization fund is needed and the whole issue of variable geometry and trying to ensure that countries benefit whether they are small, regardless of size that they have. Now on the issue of counterfeits, this again is a reality. And we have seen our region actually have losses, not just in terms of taxes, Taxes, but in terms of sales, look at the businesses that are losing out. If you're trading, for instance, in cosmetics, and uh, a whole two trailers of cosmetics, fake cosmetics come in, you're going to lose in terms of losses. But you're still going to have losses in terms of investment opportunities. People would have wanted to enter that sector uh, discouraged because they know that that sector is prone to uh, counterfeits. So let's look at some of the sectors that have been hit badly in our region. So you have agriculture inputs. You have, and by the way, I look at seeds, I look at fertilizers, I look at, uh, you know, anything that goes into agric is very prone. Because at any one time, you're going to have post-seeking equipment, hose, tractors, machinery, seeds, fertilizers, and all that. Agrochemicals are very prone to counterfeit. Alcoholic drinks, very prone. And non-alcoholic and, and, and beverages as well. Uh, cosmetics are very prone. Electrical and electronics uh, footwear, plastics, all these areas are very vulnerable and susceptible to counterfeits. And we have seen flooding goods coming from the Far East in terms of uh, these kind of products uh, uh, being flooded. So one of the things we are working with is to support capacity for, for oversight and enforcement. We are working with anti-counterfeit organizations like uh, in, at national level. So for instance, in Kenya, uh, with their anti-counterfeit agency to digitize their capacity. So automation and digitization in terms of follow-up, in terms of uh, capacity to enforce, in terms of uh, boosting their regional uh, presence as well. But we're also looking at working with national, regional bodies so as to ensure that along the trade corridors, so for instance, trading between Uganda and Kenya or Tanzania and Rwanda, Tanzania and Zambia, those trade corridors are protected. And so we're working with regional bodies as well 
to ensure both fair competition but also protection against anti-counterfeits because they could seriously undermine the spirit of integration. If people believe that if we open up our borders, anything and everything will flood in. So the capacity to monitor and ensure that the, 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 the customs union is, is, is strong is critical. Wow, thank you, Alan. And I think when you're talking about counterfeit, it's always important to realize that the truth is that people are poor um, and people are actually living in poverty in Africa. And apart from living in poverty, if I am an unemployed youth, why should I buy a good quality product if I could get it? you know, like easily at your downtown Johannesburg. That's what we call it, DT Jane's in South Africa, um, where I can get it at a very cheap price. Um, but apart from that, I think it, it also um, allows me to move into the question to you, um, to you, Emma, that Africa has the highest number of people living in poverty and in the world where in every three people, um, people live below the poverty, the global poverty line, making 422 million people, which represents 70% of the world's poor people. How can the AFCFTA be of benefit to the common men on the street? And how can governments base position themselves to drive their populations out of poverty? Okay, Uh, that's a very, very good question. Uh, And it's also a very humbling one because um, you're trying to solve Africa's problem with AFTA. Um, In many ways, it is possible to do so. Uh, Let let, let me explain. But let me explain with an anecdote. The other day in... um, Pan-African platform that I belong to, someone was wondering whether the African Continental Free Trade Area can set up a, you know, a, a health body to help with vaccines. And I'm wondering, okay, so does this person actually understand what the African Continental Free Trade actually is? How do you get a free trade area to set up a health body? Uh, and that's just, it was both humbling, but at the same time, it was just r- reminded me about the immense work ahead on awareness creation of what the African continental free trade area is. Still, a lot of people, and this person is not someone who is a student, it is someone who is a professional. Um, and, and, and so it just strikes me, there's a lot of awareness creation, a lot of awareness raising that needs to be done across the continent. Um, in our regions, wherever else, on, 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 on what the African continental free trade area is. First of all, before we can even begin to say that it's going to help anybody or that the continent out of poverty, there's also the issue of the regional economic communities. It has always been there. It's been around for about 30, 40 years collectively. Uh, some of the oldest regional economic communities. I mean, SACO, for example, South African Customs Union has been around for 110 years. Um, it was only in contemporaries when we, when we get, get back to uh, 70s, 80s, that we realized that uh, collectively the, the, the regional economic communities have been around for about 40, 50 years. And this is excluding, of course, the AU itself. So the regional economic communities have been part and parcel of, our, of the African man's life for, for, the, for the longest time in, 
in both good and bad ways. And I think the African continental free trade area now has come at a time where people need to be aware that the regional economic communities that they belong to can actually serve them. They must also begin to demand more from what the regional economic communities are offering them. Um, in West Africa, we the, the $150 that was being asked by our governments, at the, um, some of the uh, member states of, of, of ECOWAS, at the last ECOWAS meeting was slashed from $150 to $50 on account of uh, West African private sector lobbying for this to make sure that it comes down. Even $50 is expensive, but at least there, it, 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 it finally came down threefold. And if it had not been for conversations by West African private sector, understanding the impacts of COVID on cross-border traders and ordinary individuals, this conversation might not be had. But it also reminded some of us that uh, the role of the private sector, what they can do positively to impact ordinary people when, when, they, when they think about it, that it's not always about profit, but also the fact that the regional level is also very important. The regional, we cannot divorce ourselves from the regional level, no matter how hard we try. So uh, for, for me, the after is an opportunity to rejig, like I said, recalibrate how we can uplift ourselves out of poverty. It is not the answer because at the end of the day, after is still part of the solution to get in an African continental market. Because once after is quote unquote completed in the next 10, 15 years, there's, the, there's going to be the African Continental Customs Union and then afterwards the African Common Market. And that's going to take about 30 years or so for that to happen. So this is a process, but this is the, the, we are on the right side of history. Africans are the right side of history to realize that the dreams are of our forebears, of our forefathers, uh, you know, NASA, Nkrumah, Haile uh, Selassie, and all these other people are coming to fruition. And therefore, what do we do to make sure that we also do not let them down? They sacrifice their time, their sleepless nights, whatever else, for posterity. Now, there, it is our time to make sure that we continue, we carry the torch that they left. And if we're going to do that, what existing things are there that we can pick up and run with? So the things that exist, for example, social media. Now, social media can be abused, uh, and, but it can also be a force for good. We've seen it in many ways. We know how vociferous Kenyans are, Nigerians are, when CNN disappoints them or makes, <laughs> creates a bad story. We know the Kenyan Twitter sphere is fearsome, Nigerians as well. But how do we harness this social media as a force for good to ensure that whilst the youth is using it as a force for good, they are complementing it with what the, you know, the other demographic, the other demographic, that is the non-use, are able to do? Because I don't think that finding solutions for, for, for the continent and uplifting people out of poverty only rests with the youth. It also rests with those who have seen life and seen the good they have experienced the best parts of life or the worst parts. And what is it that they can also do better and leave better? What legacies can they also leave better for their grandchildren, for, for you? So I, it's a collective. It's a, it's a thing that everybody needs to come together in different spaces. It cannot happen all the time, but uh, there needs to be a recognition that we can all collectively do something. 
Uh, and for me, those are the things that I would uh, say are what we can do to, to, to use after to help people get out of poverty. One, there needs to be that recognition that the regional economic communities are there. How do we put pressure on them to make sure that they also continue deepening the policies that already exist? And if there are no policies that exist, what do they do to create policies to exist to complement uh, what AFTA is trying to do? Because right now, look at the look at the fact that Africa, the AFTA Secretariat is now thinking of a protocol for women. At this at this stage, who would have thought that they're now thinking of a protocol for women? And yet, when you look at uh, free trade areas that are not African, such as the the one that collapsed in 2005, the free trade area of the Americas, that was supposed to link the whole of Southern Africa, uh, Southern America together. There was nothing about women. There was no involvement of civil society. It was just about big business. How do they protect their investments and all these things? And that's one of the reasons why it collapsed because there was there were not there was not ordinary there was not enough involvement of ordinary people in the conversation on the free trade area. So there's a free trade area of the Americas, but women are not involved and the youth are not involved. It's just big business being able to cut across the, the you know, uh, Americas easily. But interestingly, and after, the reason why we are not seeing this, even though after has its own challenges, is because of the inclusiveness of AU member states, you know, this advocacy that AU, uh, that, that has been done by women, by the youth demographic, by uh, ordinary people, cross-border traders, there's been a lot more conversation in the run-up to the, uh, you know, the whole conversation on, 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 uh, on inter-African trade. We, start, we saw it with 2015, with the tripartite free trade area, Lincoln Sadek, East Africa Community, and Comesa. And then that later segued into this whole, you know, uh, mobilizing of minds around the fact that it is possible to link the whole continent and therefore let's have let's start deepening the conversation on 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 the african continental free trade area so there you see from 2012 with the boosting into african trade slash continental free trade area discussions then it moved to 2015 and then 2017 a lot of progress has been made so you 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 look at it and you see that the african continental free trade area as experts will tell you is the fastest moving trade agreement in history primarily because of the speed with which you know the trade negotiators worked the merits that they saw from and the, from from and the challenges that they saw from other free trade areas, how to input that into the negotiations and and make it a lot more inclusive. Because to even be talking, the the women um, front is so excited by this protocol for women uh, on 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 after, and I'm sure that the youth will soon be advocating for that as well. Youth protocol on after, and if that happens. Imagine how much this would uplift, uh, you know, uh, a lot of citizens from poverty because the the youth are represent sixty to seventy percent of the demographic of the, the, the let's say the demogra- demographic dividend on the continent, and then you have the women who have been doing after long before the word even existed, our grandmothers who were you know selling trinkets across borders and so on. They have also been holding the fort for decades. So uh, uh, they have been able to take their grandchildren to school through university just through that already, even before after existed. So now that the word is recognizable to them, it, they don't need to understand what after is. All they need to know is that there are opportunities that exist for them to still continue their trading, whether it's their grandchildren, whether it's someone in the family that needs to continue that business. 
you know, at least it's going to uplift them from poverty. So for me, this is how I'm looking at the world and what AFTA can do, that there are a lot of exciting developments around. There's the women protocol. Uh, a lot of youth have now been engaged in AFTA. And these are some of the things, uh, and the awareness creation as well of AFTA. I think there's a lot more awareness now, but it still needs to be beefed up. But these are some of the elements that will help us lift the continent from poverty because people don't necessarily need to know that after what after means. They just need to know that there is a process that exists that will now allow them to access the bigger markets. And therefore, there are certain things that governments is availing themselves, private sector will avail to them to be able to do that, to connect to the larger markets. And for me, once that happens, you know, Africa, you know, the, you know, the sky... The sky is the limit. The sky will be the limit for, for, for the continent. Great. I absolutely love what you said when you say that we're on the right side of history. I, I, that really, for me, yeah. is very exciting. And, yeah. of course, we talked about the protocols for women and for youth and, and, and all the speed that we've delivered so far in terms of just getting this, this trade agreement moving. Mm-hmm. One of the missions of AFTA is to remove national trade barriers like you've touched mm-hmm. on, if I knew of. But how practical would this be operationalized and how would it affect um, some of the current processes and practices, including customs and trade fees, most of which African countries are currently relying on? Alan, how would that be handled? Uh, Okay, so thank you so much. I did allude to this uh, earlier in my earlier uh, uh, discussion. Uh, with, uh, with the continental free trade area, I talked about 90% of the tariffs uh, being uh, removed. So in essence, market uh, access has been made uh, much easier. No tariffs, you can actually move your goods without paying extra. So they, they could be sold in the other country as if they were made uh, in that country, save for maybe transport costs and all. However, beyond the tariffs, there are the non-tariff barriers which continue to impact on trade. I talked about the bureaucracies and red tapes at the borders, uh, the, 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 there's often corruption and, 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 and all that. Now, one of the challenges we have faced and one of the challenges the countries have faced is that because customs revenue has traditionally been looked at as a source of revenue for countries, the moment efficiencies are increased, the moment tariffs are removed, these taxes actually go down and any additional uh, monies that are collected actually go down. And so, of course, countries start feeling the, in this very tight physical space, countries start feeling the burden of not having this customs revenue. So it's likely to increase protectionism. That's when they start coming up with so many barriers. Oh, your milk cannot come into our country because it doesn't have this standard. Oh, your sugar is not is coming from a third party country, so it's not going to be coming in. That's what we call non-tariff barriers. You actually start seeing an increased incidence of non-tariff barriers and trade wars because countries are feeling the pinch of revenue loss and so they are resorting to that. However, one of the cardinal tenets of customs is really facilitation of trade. And almost all these countries in our region have signed the WTO trade facilitation agreement, the for, for commonly known as the Bali Trade Agreement, which really pushes for the role of customs to be more as a facilitating role. And so the World Customs Organization and other agencies really seek to streamline uh, through a number of risk reduction measures. So for instance, we, we have supported the region in implementing what is called authorized economic operators, where countries are sure that if you're moving your fuel, for instance, from Kenya to Uganda, you're trusted not to dump that fuel, for instance, in Kenya, not having paid taxes, 
you divert it and dump it in Kenya. And so Kenya loses revenue, Uganda loses revenue, and the goods end up in, in, in Kenya. So there, we are putting in place such systems those which help uh, customs revenues to put in place green, red channels that allow goods to move quickly through the borders. Uh, there's the common external tariff that has been implemented, not common external tariff, sorry. Uh, what, what do we call it? That the, the, um, the mechanism for collecting taxes at the point of, 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 of entry. So for instance, you have now customs authorities at the border posts uh, in, in Mombasa. So from Rwanda, from South Sudan, from Kenya, from Uganda, from Tanzania, they're all in, 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 in Mombasa, where they're able to verify goods that are coming in and able to ascertain tax collection at that point. So again, this minimizes the risk that you're going to pay, you, you are not going to pay taxes for goods in Uganda and then dump them in Kenya. It won't help, you already have paid the tax, you see. So your goods will still have to go on to Kenya or to Rwanda. So there are a number of measures that can reduce the risks, increase confidence, increase trust, so that people won't stop looking at trade, at, at customs as a source of revenue, but also stop putting in place NTBs to try and ensure that they collect revenue in other ways. The other thing, of course, I talked about was the stabilization funds. And I know African Bank and others are working on something to this end. So that countries which are really uh, and affected negatively uh, are sort of have a measure of bridging those uh, that big gap that is left by the by the, the for instance the customs revenue that they would have been earning. So that is critical. Otherwise, you would find countries potentially collapsing if there are no safety nets uh, to protect them. Awesome. Alan, we talked about 90% of the national tariffs being removed under the AFCFTA. Um, but the next question relates to most business businesses wanting to expand and sell beyond their countries. Um, as it stands, parties elect the legal jurisdiction to be applicable, that will be applicable to them when they trade or when they match with each other. Um, how do private parties obtain legally binding and enforceable remedies when they find themselves in either breach or dispute or disputes occurring between them? And this is my question to Ellen, to Emma. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a very good question. Um, and, and I think for you, the lawyer, you'll be able to answer the question for me. <laughs> 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 so let, let, let me just say this. My answer is going to be very short on this one because um, from my reading of uh, AFTA, there's, there's one article, uh, I believe they said it's Article 20 or so, that speaks to the issue of dispute mechanism uh, settlement. But it's only for state parties. It is not for individuals. That is the challenge. So this is where the regional economic communities come in. Uh, I don't think that there's been enough conversation or synergy between the regional economic communities to allow individuals to have that dispute settlement, you know, yet, you know, uh, elaborated. Uh, I do know that uh, in in the ECOWAS uh, Court of Justice, a lot of issues are taken to the ECOWAS Court. Ordinary individuals can take cases, and many have taken cases to the ECOWAS court. It takes time, but eventually it, it gets resolved. And many times the individuals that take the case uh, are, often do get remedied. So I believe that ECOWAS needs to have a conversation on, for example, at that regional level, what it can do to make sure that ordinary individuals can take uh, cases you know, to the ECOWAS court of justice. 
I'm not sure what obtains with, uh, I know that in Sadek, Sadek Tribunal no longer exists, uh, hasn't exist. I think it was disbanded many years ago. Uh, but once it's revived, this after now will offer an opportunity to help reject the SADC tribunal so that ordinary individuals can begin taking cases. Uh, in East Africa, uh, there's East Africa Community Court of Justice as well. Um, I believe they also need to sort themselves out whether private individuals can take. But for now, after in and of itself, it is for state parties. So already, this is a very good question because I think it offers those who are in the legal fraternity uh, and those interested in to you know to begin thinking how they can uh, begin cohering around you know this issue of what what AFTA can do AFTA as a solution to uh, you know dispute settlement uh, mechanisms. I continue that in West Africa there's the ECOWAS trade liberalisation scheme, which is some many say that it's a mini version of the African continental free trade area. The challenge, though, is that uh, the dispute settlement mechanism around the cost trade liberalization scheme has not been uh, very good. And so that is one of the problems that, uh, you know, takeaways that after, when after was looking at, you know, what obtains in the in the regional economic communities, they realized that, uh, well, um, ECOWAS needs, needs to revise its trade liberalization scheme protocols and fit in these uh, these remedies of dispute settlement a lot more than they have been doing. After I think has responded well that there is this Article 20, which is uh, based on the WTO's also dispute settlement mechanism. Um, now the the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. We will now be watching with uh, you know and listening with beta breath to hear what disputes are taken to that you know tribunal and what AU for example agencies. Or, or, or will will help support that because there there are some EU agencies uh, in, in in Tanzania I think the court the the African court that may also pick this up in conjunction with the uh, with uh, with AFTA as well uh, I I've read elsewhere that this is something that is uh, that could happen as well but let's let's wait and see on what that happens but for now I don't think private parties can take it uh, the the issues to after it'll probably have to be at the regional level but the regional level has not built capacity yet so there's still a, a very important conversation that needs to be had at that at that level well thank you emmanuel um yeah. i think it's only fair to yeah. i know we are hijacking you um oh no it's okay no sorry um to to yeah. to to expand further um what 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 are your opinion in terms of this, um, how it can legally um, apply to individuals and also if it should actually legally apply to individuals. And when I say individuals, I mean both um, natural individuals and juristic individuals. Um, How do we bring the AFCFTA down to business? Yeah, I think uh, Emmanuel has hinted, I mean, has spoken about quite a lot of the things, but one of the things we've been doing, one, is first putting in place a reporting mechanism where breaches occur. So, for instance, recently, I think last week or so, the government of Kenya uh, put a ban on on Tanzania and Uganda importing, uh, exporting maize to Kenya because of aflatoxins. But also we've had bans, for instance, on import of chicken and eggs and all. So there's lots of bans happening across the region. 
uh, and trade wars and, you know, you close borders. So we, we, we have put in place, working with the government in the region, we've put in place a trade, uh, non-tariff barrier reporting mechanism. So for instance, if you reach the border of Tanzania, between Tanzania and Kenya, and they stop your truck for no reason, or they're asking for documents that are not needed, and your goods get spoiled, you know, you could report uh, immediately, and th- there's a mechanism through which they are able to, to, to respond. And I know that uh, the African Union is also setting up a or has set up and is working on an African uh, trade observatory looking at the NTB reporting mechanisms. Because this will be critical as the barriers go down, the tariff barriers go down, the non-tariff barriers are likely to go up. The second thing we have worked on is on the legislative aspects, working with the East African uh, community to really see how we can tighten. Uh, so there's an NTB me- mechanism, monitoring mechanism at the ESC that we have supported, but also to really look at uh, at, at mechanisms for enforcement. If, 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 if I'm selling uh, my tomatoes or my beer across the border and they stopped and after three months of being stuck there, I've made lots of losses. What sanctions? You know, trying to see how uh, uh, partner states, but also individuals and companies can go to the courts of justice, for instance, the East African courts of justice, to seek remedies. So one of the things we're now trying to do in this whole uh, area of non-tariff barriers is a cost analysis on the cost of NTBs. If my trucks are stuck at the border for three weeks, and what is the cost? What is the loss to my business? What is the loss? So that we go with an evidence-based way to argue against these NTBs and the damage they're doing to the economy, the damage they're doing to the countries. So there are a number of ways in which at least individuals, companies uh, should be able to access uh, uh, remedies, but also to be able to push for sanctions against this. I hope I've answered the the question uh, you wanted, yeah. Okay, thank you, you have. Um, Well, in conclusion, and thank you so much because this conversation has been so diversified. Into different parts, we we we've learned about trademarks. Um, we've learned about um, well the legalities and the policies, and you know, um, including how it can be applied not only to individuals but also to countries and um, to the continent at large. Thank you to everyone who managed to attend um, this conversation. I've learned so much. About AFTA, especially, um, Emmanuel. <laughs> okay, I'm glad and to hear. also, Alan, do you have any closing remarks that you want to share with us before we conclude the conversation? I think, uh, first, to congratulate you on starting this uh, tr- uh, Trade Talks uh, Africa. It's critical that we get the conversations going, but more critical that we get the action going. There's a lot that we can do to actually make this dream, this potential of the continental free trade area a reality. The most important, I think, addressing these barriers, but also getting the citizens engaged. One thing I saw from the, for instance, the East African community that helped to galvanize action was putting in place those key reforms that saw ordinary people benefiting. So, so for instance, the one tourist visa that allowed people to move from across the countries, uh, you could tour in Kenya, in Uganda, in Rwanda at the cost of one visa for those coming from outside the region. But also things like the movement with the ID, you could move with your ID from Uganda to Kenya or from Uganda to Rwanda. The movement with uh, the, rather the one network area for telecommunications, so you don't have to roam when you're in Kenya or when you're in Rwanda. Such reforms and initiatives have really made the integration a reality for the people. So the CFTA as well needs to look at some of these quick wins. And so some of the work that's been doing around the payment settlement systems, 
or for us, the work we are doing along the digital corridors, uh, trying to ensure that if I'm exporting my fruits from Uganda, say to, to, to DRC, which is in another regional economic community or to Nigeria, I'm able to get my goods there as quickly as possible so that I avoid them losses and them perishing. If we can get these things a reality on the ground, tangible benefits that people can really associate with the momentum for the continental free trade era will not will, will be huge because people are waiting and we're all looking for a recovery out of this COVID. The continental free trade area provides us that opportunity because the numbers are massive, they're mind-boggling, and the opportunities are mind-boggling. We just need to do it. So thank you so much uh, for, for this opportunity. I'm really excited. And uh, we are working with partners on a number of programs to support not just the small traders, big business as well, everyone who seeks to uh, make the, this continent of free trade area a reality. So you can find out more from our social media and our website, uh, www.trademarkea.com. And there is a lot of information there, how you can access uh, uh, opportunities, information around the work we are doing in the region. We cover 12 countries uh, and all. And the partners we work with, which are governments, the regional economic uh, communities, private sector and uh, and the donors that development partners that do support us in this work. Emmanuel. Okay. Okay. So th- thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I just want to say that uh, um, I've, I've watched uh, trademark East Africa um, do a lot of uh, over the past couple of years and they've been doing fantastic work. So Alan, thank you very much to your colleagues. I think uh, they have changed the conversation on, the role that private sector can play with regional economic communities uh, in the region. And they've done a fantastic job. And I think it is possible. I think we need a similar thing in almost every region to have a trademark, you know, East Africa and almost every region. I think that would really change the conversation at this time that after exists. So um, I don't know how that will happen, but thank you for all the great work that you're doing. Now, uh, as far as uh, we are concerned, after policy network, we can be reached on uh, www.afcftapolicy.net. Um, you can get a sense, you, you can find on the website upcoming programs, the kind of things that we're doing, uh, our membership as well. Uh, what we're trying to do now is uh, to build. We have over 400 members. Uh, we're trying to get uh, a lot of them to make sure that they, <laughs> that they pay their dues. But for those who are paying their dues, you can find details about them on the website. Uh, who they are, uh, why they have joined the, uh, you know, after policy network, and we 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 actually have a number of um, uh, different platforms. We have a Women of Africa network as well, which is a subsidiary, uh, registered subsidiary of uh, after policy network, and we're actually doing the virtual launching of the Women of Africa network this Saturday. I can share the Zoom link with uh, you and Amanda Cabello, um, uh, um, because that is supposed to be the. Uh, the women's wing of After Policy Network, encouraging, uh, you know, cross-border traders, women to uh, also build their capacity around, uh, you know, the Af- uh, African continental free trade area, but also to ensure that they 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 have a say, they they you know, uh, on on developments around intra-African trade in general, after in particular. Then we have uh, so so there are other platforms which which details you can find on the website. Uh, but you can also reach me on um, my email, ekbensa at gmail.com. I think you already have that. Then we have uh, AFCFTA, um, uh, dot, AFCFTA Ghana dot diaspora at gmail.com. 
uh, I can share the official website email much later as well. We've been having some problems with it. Uh, but you can send uh, an email to that Gmail, uh, my Gmail account, and then I'll be able to send the necessary information around to those uh, um, to those who need it. So I think I think uh, that's about it with the details. Awesome. Thank you, Emma, Alan, and of course you, our listener, for this comprehensive discussion on payments, the standard quality assurance, and legal framework needed to operationalize this trade agreement. Please do join us on our final episode as we look towards the future of this trade agreement. The impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the implementation of the agreement while also exploring its relationship with the existing global treaties. And do stay tuned, subscribe, share, comment, and make suggestions as we do love suggestions. Thank you.